come in, God is answering, and especially send in the answered prayer so we can keep reading it. Amen? All right, all right. You can open up your Bibles. You can start in Romans 11. We're going to just kind of see where this goes because we're taking a break from the book of Exodus. We've been in a book of Exodus. Uh, we're off and on until we're done, until we get to Exodus 40. But we're, every so often we take a break for a few weeks. Uh, today is one such time. In fact, the next three weeks we're taking a break from the book of Exodus to do some special things. Uh, and today I'm going to call up Dave and Jen Rivera. So Dave and Jen Rivera, come on up here. We're going to be on some stools up here, and we're going to talk a little bit about their story. Come on up here, you guys. Now, Dave and Jen Rivera, by the way, we asked, we, I, I made them look at these stools and say, one of them's an odd stool. One of them doesn't fit. Who's going to be the oddball sitting on the taller stool? They made me take that one. This is not me trying to be superior. He is, he is the reverend. <laughs> it was only right. It was only right. What's up, you guys? What's going on? Welcome. Thanks. Welcome to the sun. <laughs> so Dave and Jen Rivera came to us from Main Street Alliance Church. They were sent here from Main Street Alliance Church, a partner church of ours in Manahawkin, New Jersey, because the Manahawkin had too much of them. They're like, <laughs> get, get out of here. Easy to happen. <laughs> So they're with us for a year. The plan is for them to be with us for a year, just to kind of be in the midst of a different kind of church, a different community. Um, and their, pl their plan is to plant next year in Long Beach Island, to plant a church in Long Beach Island. Uh, and so um, they're going to be kind of just building a launch team over this next year. My hope is that some of you will feel called to go with them to Long Beach Island to help plant that church. We have shared that one of our big prayer goals is to keep sending out people to help as missionaries around the world or to help uh, plant churches or to plant churches over the next, uh, uh, last year we cast that vision. It was seven years, now it's six years. Seventy people by 2027 was the goal. And our hope for this year is particularly for four people to be sent out. So that may be you. You might hear their story. You might want to go. They're having a barbecue next week. I want to just bring up this slide. You guys get my clicker going. They got a barbecue next week, Memorial Day. It's a kind of a vision barbecue. They're just going to find out more about what their plan is, what their vision is, and connect with the folks who are already in for this church plant. And so some of you might want to, you know, let me go to this. Let me find out more about this. And so my hope is that at the end of today, you'll talk to these guys or you'll uh, sign up to join them at their barbecue next week and find out more. That's one hope for today. The other hope is simply that you will hear their story and some of you are going to... You're going you're, you're gonna, to um, uh, resonate with Dave's story. You're going to realize, man, there, there's, I'm stuck in some places and the power of God can get me unstuck. The power of God can rescue me. Others of you are going to hear Jen's story. And you're going you're gonna to realize, you know what? My relationship with God isn't what it should be. Isn't what it could be. And I want more. I want, I want more. So, and, and then maybe lastly, some of you guys have a family member or a spouse. And you're having trouble believing that God's power can transform them. Sometimes it's easier to believe, well, I'm changing, but I don't know if they're changing. God's, God's power is even big enough to change that person. Amen? Amen? So those are my three, four hopes for this interview. 
Um, I, I want to start off by reading uh, just a, a little excerpt from Romans 11, where, where Romans 11:29, where Paul says God's gift and His call are irrevocable, and he's talking about the nation of Israel uh, in that in that context. Um, but, but but what it means for us is that when God calls us, when God gets a hold of our hearts, He doesn't let us go. When God determines to come after us and overwhelm us with His grace and override our stubborn will. Nothing can snatch us out of his hands. And you're going to hear that in these guys' story. You're going to hear about a God who pursued them and pursued them and overwhelmed them. And then you're going to hear about God's call on their life to help reach other people with the good news of his amazing grace. So I just want to pray, and then we'll kind of jump into an interview, all right? All right, so Jesus, you are king, you're Lord, you're in charge. I believe that. You rose from the dead, and so you're alive, and because you're alive, you're the Lord of lords. You're the king of kings. You're the one in charge over everything. And whether our hearts acknowledge it or not, that's the case. But I pray that more and more hearts today would acknowledge it, would bow their knees to you. I pray that for those of us who have forgotten it or our windshield wipers have kind of gotten dingy and cloudy and we just don't see you the way we used to see you, I pray that you would wipe them clean and renew in us a vision of who you are, the glorious God that you are. I pray this in your name. Amen. All right. Let me sit on this tall stool. Guys, tell us about your kids before we kick off with your stories. What are your kids? What's their names? How old are they? And uh, uh, Well, we have four kids, um, all under six, I think. Uh Girl, boy, girl, girl, boy, Kana, Kana Grace, she's the oldest, she's six years old, uh, Asaph Liam, he's uh, the second, uh, Sayla Joy, uh, she's the third, and, uh, and Silas David. They just call her number three, that's yeah, why. Number three, right. number two, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and then Silas David, he's the youngest, he's about two years old, he was born on Cinco de Mayo. So it makes that makes it really just, easy for me. Just turn two. <laughs> just yeah. turn two. Um, and they're and they're great. I I mean, they're, they're awesome. They love they love great. church. They love. They're always up for an adventure. Um, we're busy, obviously, because they're small and we're in yeah. that age group. But they just they roll with whatever we throw at them, and they they really are awesome. Yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. And they're back there. They're right back now. there. They're back in children's church. Do they, they love it. Do they enjoy being back there? They love being back there. Kana wore her True Life shirt today. She changed sides. Traitor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Second week in a row, actually. Yeah. Hey, speaking, speaking of, you know, some, I have a hard time explaining well, what the heck you guys are even doing here at True Life Church. <laughs> can, you, can you explain why you're here for a year with us? Yeah, you want to go? Um, so... Make sure your mic is close to your mouth. Okay. Um, so uh, we we, do, we took an, uh, an assessment with uh, church, uh, Stadia Church Planning. And one of the things, um, we've been with, you know, involved in ministry for the past 10, 12 plus years. We've been in redevelopments and church plants. Um, 
but we've never really been part of like an established church. And so one of the one of the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Recommendations. Recommendations was is, hey, go be a part of a more established church. Um, organized. Organized. Um, they thought that was us. Yes. Yes. <laughs> They, they did. Mean, they said, they said, go find a church that is organized and communicates well yeah. and has all their stuff together and knows what they're doing. <laughs> and man, true life is what came yeah. on the plate. So. I mean, the man has a clicker for his slides. Yeah. I mean, he just clicks it and boom, it's there. Yeah. We don't have that. Uh. <laughs> so we're here. We are here. Like Dave said, we're, we have a lot of training in organic ministry, a lot of church plant uh, experience, redevelopment experience, but we don't have a lot of organized experience or established experience. And so we want to learn from you guys and we want to um, kind of glean what you, the experiences that you have gone through. Okay. As organized as we are. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Hearing us be an organized church, that could be a first. That could be a first. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Somebody thinks that. We put on a good show to the outside world. Um, all right, Dave, let's jump into your story. By the way, you guys, you guys are going to hear messages from these two over the next year. Uh, this is kind of just the beginning. Uh, there's more to their story that you're going to hear in the future. Uh, even their marriage story is a testimony in itself. We're not going to be able to get into all the nitty-gritties of that, but uh, that's a powerful one. Um, but let's start with you, Dave. Before you came to know Jesus, what was your life like? Um, it was a mess, uh, in, a, in a short word. But um, I'm one of three. I'm the youngest of three boys. My parents got uh, divorced by the time I was five, six years old. Uh, and so that left my mom raising basically three boys on her own. Uh, my brother, Kenny, he's about seven years older than me, um, and then me and my brother Jimmy were, were about a year and a half apart. But we were being raised by my mom, who was uh, a single mom, had to work a full-time job, and so at a very, very young age, uh, I got involved into alcohol um, and drugs at a, very, at a very young age. And so by the time my brother Kenny was dabbling, it kind of was, we were, we were a tight-knit group, you know, it was just the three of us, and um, it was like, you know, if one goes down, we all go down. So, you know, if we all do something wrong, if somebody does something wrong, we all do it wrong together. So uh, it was like one of those things that you just, you just did. Um, so, so I got, I was very young. I got involved into alcohol and drugs at a very, very young age. My last grade completed was fifth grade. Uh, by the time I was in elementary school, I was smoking marijuana. I was drinking alcohol. Um, and my mom, who had to work a full-time job, couldn't afford daycare. So we were just home by ourselves. By the time we went to school, from 2 o'clock to 7 o'clock by the time she got home. And so we just got involved in all the wrong things. Um, started dabbling and hanging out with the wrong people and, and, and just experimenting at a very, very young age. Um, into drugs, into alcohol, and so um, it started off young, getting involved in that stuff. And then you spent some time in juvie. Yeah, and then and then um, as you know, by the time I was in fifth grade, I got sentenced to six months in rehab, and then I got out, used drugs again. Then I got sentenced to six months in uh, juvenile detention center, and then I got out, and then I went back into rehab, and then I got out, and then by the time I was in eighth grade, I got sentenced to two years in Jamesburg, and, um, and Jamesburg's like, a, for 
for young kids, it's it's almost like prison. Uh, there's it's a it's a juvenile prison. 21 hours lockdown. It's called Jamesburg Recreation and Assessment Center. Um, I winded up going there. Usually, what happens is is for young kids who are getting in trouble, they either send you to boot camp or a long-term rehab. Believe it or not, my sentence wasn't long enough, so they had nowhere to ship me. So there was just nowhere for me to go, and so I just spent two years in in, J in Jamesburg um, on 21 hours of lockdown. We got three hours out, one hour for school, one hour for rec, and one hour for showers and phone calls. Um, and that just, and wow. that was, you wow. know, by the time I got out, by the time I got out, I was, I should have been a junior in high school. I, they had none of my credits. They had nothing. They were like, basically, you, you would be a sophomore. And so while I was in Jamesburg, I did do my GED, so... By the time I got out, I was, you know, 16, going on 17. I dropped out right away. My mom signed me out because there was no way for me to, you know, if I, I should have been a junior, I would have been a freshman. Uh, all, you know, so I dropped out. I got my GED that week, um, the, the week I got released. Um, I got my GED and basically started working a full-time job and basically was an adult, uh, according to the state, according to... My life moved out by the time I was 17, um, got started working, thought I was done with drugs, and I was far from done. I got back in. Um, now I wasn't on parole, I wasn't on probation, I wasn't in school, nobody really watching over me. And so what started out with alcohol, what started out with marijuana, progressed into other drugs, higher drugs, now going out, living on my own, partying into my young adulthood, um, getting very, in, I don't know how I want to, you know. Sure. You know. I think so. Brokenness. Brokenness. Broken. We'll just use brokenness. We got some mm. kids watching online perhaps, yes, yes, so, so we don't have mm. to get too, too, too detailed, but yeah. um, so brokenness. Yeah, brokenness. Like never, never getting out of it and now again being 18, yeah. 19. Yeah. 20. Did you, did you want to get out of it? Wanted to get out of it, yeah, of course, you know. Again, this is a time where um, a lot of my friends, we were getting hooked on the bigger drugs. A lot of them passed away. Sentences went from when you're a kid, you're going to rehab, you're going, and now it's, now it's five, ten years prison sentences. Now it's prison. Now it's Yardsville, and it's, you know... And a lot of my friends and wanting to, you know, I wanted to like, I always thought that, okay, hey, you know, I would grow out of it. But we were stuck in this phase of like, what else is there to do? You know, when that was the thing to do and, and, and I'm, there's addiction, you know, it's, it's hard. And, you know, I work, I tried to work a full-time job. I tried to do things right. And, but I, I just couldn't get out of it. I was stuck, stuck, stuck and, and. And what I thought would only be a year here or, or there winded up just rolling into multiple years, gotcha. you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's pause on your story for a moment. Um, and let's, let's jump over to Jen. Your background is a little different than Dave's. Yeah. A little different. Oh, pretty significantly different. So I grew up in church. 
Um, I still, things he talks about, I'm like, what does that mean? So <laughs> it's very different uh, backgrounds. Like I said, um, I come from Pennsylvania. I grew up in a really small town. Um, everybody knows your name. And uh, my parents had a nominal uh, walk with Christ. Sorry if you're watching. Uh, but they... <laughs> <laughs> they happy birthday dad um <laughs> but they took us to church they knew they knew to take us to church and so we were in church every sunday and wednesday for my entire life um and i prayed uh, a prayer to accept jesus when i was four or five years old um after sunday school one day because that's what you did and you got a candy bar if you did and yeah. so uh, why not um, so I, I was doing all the things that I thought I was supposed to do. I did have an experience with the Lord. Um, at that time I felt called into ministry at a very young age. Um, but I just didn't know what it looked like. I didn't, there weren't any kids in my church. It was me and my sister. And so I didn't know, um, really what God could do with a little kid. And so I just did what you're supposed to do, right? Like you don't, you don't do the bad things. You do do the good things and you judge everybody that doesn't do what you're doing. And so, so basically don't, don't be like, don't this be guy. like this guy. So I was doing really good. Right. But, but I was stuck in another way because I was like, what is going on? Like this, this doesn't make sense. Like this can't be all there is. Right. Like it, this isn't exciting. This isn't passionate. Like yeah. this is just, you just go through the motions and you go to church on Sunday and you do your life the rest of the week. And, and you go back to church on Sunday, and isn't it great? And praise the Lord. Um, but like I said, I felt like I was supposed to do ministry uh, as I got older. And so I went to a Christian college um, south of Buffalo. And I was working at a summer camp, and I met some people um, from a church in New Jersey uh, out at Building on the Rock. And they lived really different uh, to what I had been experiencing my whole life. And they like lived like Jesus was real. And it and people were going to hell and that matters and, and we should be doing something about it. And I was like, how am I paying so much money every year to hang out with Christians at this college? And I'm not seeing anybody that lives like this and, and just being like, I'm missing something. So I wound up moving out here, um, in 2000, at the beginning of 2007, um, and, and I moved in with the pastor there and, and didn't know what I was doing or what I was getting into, but I knew that I wanted more. I wanted what these people had, and, and I hadn't experienced it. So, And that was Pastor, pastor Bob Nash? Pastor Bob Nash, and yeah. And Valerie, and uh, at yeah. the time, how many kids did they have? They only had five kids. They didn't, their basement wasn't there. So, and they, they, their, their baby was like four or five, so I thought they were done. They wound up having a whole other family after that, but... So you were living with them. Okay, so we'll, we'll kind of pause on on your story. We'll come back to that in a moment. So back to Dave. Um, what happened, man? How did Jesus get a hold of your heart? Um, so, so my older brother, Kenny, so we all struggled with drug addiction. Me, my brother Jimmy, and my older brother, Kenny. Um, Kenny started getting heavy into, into heavier drugs. One day he was at a gym. Um, he met, he saw a girl there, you know, tried, you know, hitting on her. She invited him to a barbecue, winded up being like a, a men's fellowship barbecue at building on a rock. So he goes thinking he's going to see this girl. He's going to hang out with her. She's going to be his girlfriend. And, uh, he winds up meeting these guys. These guys like pour into him. They, they, they right away notice that he's struggling with addiction 
that he's struggling with um, finding his identity. You know, he had just, he, was, he went to the army. He got dishonorably discharged. So when he came out, he, <clears throat> excuse me, he was just a mess. Like, he spent basically four years in the army and got dishonorably discharged. Wow. Um, so because of drugs, he got, his last station was in Amsterdam, Germany, and he got heavy into drugs. Bless, Bless you. you. Um, and so he got kicked out. He continued in drugs. And so he meets these guys. These guys rally around him. A bunch of men, they're like, hey, Jesus loves you. He wants to change your life. You know, you are more than what you're doing right now. And he gets, like, radically saved, you know. And um, he gives his life to the Lord. He detoxes with these guys within a week in their house, you know, as they're, like, pouring into him. And he gets saved. And God comes in and changes and just changes his life. And it was awesome. And, um... So then he comes, he's fired up for Jesus, and me and my brother Jimmy, we're living in Seaside Heights in a, in a motel that's, that's not nice, um, and we're going down the same road, we're still in it, and he comes in out of nowhere, now all in love with Jesus, and he's telling us what we got to stop doing, and we're like, what are you talking about, bro? What is wrong with you? Have a drink. Shut up, you know? Uh, but he, you know, he really does. He falls in love with Jesus. He gets my mom. So my mom sees this transformation. My mom's like, wow, like my son, who was stealing from me, using drugs, going down this down path, like something happened to this man. Wow. So she right away starts going to church with him. And then she gets plugged in with the women there. Some who are like Kim Peterson and Kim Spicer and, and all these women. And, and then they go to prayer. And, and then my mom's spending time with women. And, and they're praying for us. And, you know, she gets really involved. She gets saved. She gets saved. Yes, she got saved. <laughs> Thank you, Jen. You're welcome. <laughs> she gets saved. So now my brother Kenny and my mom get saved. They're radically living for Jesus, going to Building on the Rock. And me and my brother Jimmy are stuck in Seaside, still going down this downward path. And, um, and one thing my mom and my brothers, we would always do is every Sunday we go to my mom's house and my brothers are Eagles fans and I'm a Giants fan. Um, yeah. let's go Giants. Uh, that's, that's number one. No, no, not Eagles. Uh, but, um, <laughs> so mom would bribe you. <laughs> so, 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 so we would all go to my mom's house and we would watch the football game and then she'd cook dinner and then we would also, she'd give us food, you know, cause we were. We were living in a hotel. We were poor. We didn't have any money. And so that was like our time to really mooch off of my mom and like, hey, make extra so we can have for the week because we didn't eat. So my mom would do this all the time. And then she was finally like, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. You have to come to church every Sunday and then you can come over, watch the Giants game and I'll give you food. But you can't just wait because we would call and be like, oh, when you're done with church, well, we'll be there. We'll be waiting at the door once you get home. She was like, no, I'm not doing that no more. You have to come or you don't come over. You don't watch the game and I don't give you food. So she bribed us. So she bribed us. <laughs> and so finally, you know, after a while, you know, after a while, yeah, you know, we did, we, that was our time to get food. We weren't eating. We were spending all of our money on drugs. And so we had nothing to really buy food. And so, yeah, let's go to this. Let's go to this church. And so we wind up starting around 2006, 2005, 2006, um, start attending this church. Personally, at first, I thought all the people were weird. They were, like, jumping up and down, 
praising God, hands up. I, was, I sat in the back. I was like, all right, this is awkward. This is weird. Stay away from me. Guys invited me to hang out. I'm like, no, thank you. Um, and then one day, Pastor Bob preached this sermon, and it just hit me. And it was about living in a life of sin and, like, being stuck. And I, felt, I knew I was stuck. I knew deep down inside I was stuck, and I didn't know how to get out. And I knew that if I didn't get out, my, my you know, one thing in rehab is, you know, jails, institutions, and death. Like, that was, that was my, that was it. I, I was heading one, I was either going to go to prison for a long time, or I was going to die. And so, hearing this message, and hearing how God wanted to come, and how much he loves me, and how much he wants to save me, and, and have this relationship with me, I'm breaking down, I'm like, I start hyperventilating, tears are coming down, my brother Kenny's just like sitting next to me, got his hand on my shoulder, and they did an altar call, and they're like, if anybody wants to come up and receive Jesus, and be free of this bondage that you're living in, and I wanted to, I wanted to go up, but I was so like, scared, you know, I was scared, I was, in, I felt embarrassed, like, okay, here I am, I'm gonna walk up in front of everybody, everybody's gonna know, like, oh, the crack, crackhead is giving his life to Jesus, and so I, I didn't want to go up, and so my brother, Kenny, Kenny, my brother Kenny came up to me, and he was like, hey, man, do you want to go up and, like, pray to God? I was like, yeah, but I don't want to go up. I don't, I don't want to go up, and he was like, it's okay, you don't have to go up. Let's just sit right here, and he grabbed another guy or two, um, and they came over me, and they were just like, man, hey, do, do you want to pray, and I just broke down, and I started crying, and I said, God, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I don't know if you're there. I don't know if you're listening. I don't even know if you want anything to do with me. But I'm scared, and I need you to help me because I'm going to die if you don't help me. And I received Jesus in that moment. I got saved. I felt like a weight lifted from me. The men came around me. They were just crying with me, hearing my story. They loved me, and they were like, all right, man, like, now walk in it, you know, like, be free. Be free in Jesus' name, you know? Um, so I left there all fired up, ready to live my life for Jesus, and so I went to the Ocean County Library, got a bunch of videos about Jesus, went home, pressed play, and got high and watched them for like three or four hours, and was like, man, I'm going to live my life for Jesus, you know? Let's do it. And my friends are all, like, watching, like, man, turn this off, man. This is messing with my buzz, you know? <laughs> like, eh. But I, I wanted to, you know? I had a desire to follow Jesus. I wanted to, but I was still stuck in this bondage. So I got saved. So fast forward, though, to that day in Seaside. When so Ken fast forward. For it's, now it's about a year. I've been going to Building on the Rock on and off. Um, we're still in this host hotel. Finally, um... We start getting raided. Cops raid the hotel. I go to jail for about two weeks. Um, so just to clarify, something happened inwardly. A huge change happened. Legitimately, yes. you can look yeah. back and say something happened. But externally, your life was still a mess. Yeah. A year later. I didn't know how to live it out. Okay. I didn't know what that looked like walking it. Like, cool. how do I live this life? Not cool, and, but uh, yeah. thanks for clarifying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and they did. The men, they had a men's house. But at that time, I wasn't ready to give up that stuff. Yeah. I really wasn't. I wanted to in the thought of it. But physically, like, I didn't want to give it up. I liked, I liked what I was doing. And so I wanted to walk with Jesus. But, man, can he be cool with me still doing what I'm doing? 
if that's okay, then yeah, let's do it. But if not, then I'm going to choose this. So, you know, there wasn't that pool yet. And yeah. so... So you did two weeks. So I did two weeks in jail. I got out. They raided the hotel. My brother got put in jail. So we got raided like three times in two days. Um, and eventually my brother Kenny comes with another guy from church. And they're like, hey, man, God wants to change your life. Man, like God wants so much more. Like, do you want to live in this? Do you want to live in this cell that you're living in? I'm like, no, no. Like, you know, they offered to, for me to join this men's discipleship house. And I was like, no, I'm okay. So my brother Kenny's like, all right, man. Obviously, I'm getting nowhere. I just want to pray for you real quick. And so my brother Kenny and his friend puts his hands on me. They start praying. My brother Kenny is like, hey, God, I pray that you would wreck my brother's life. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, in the middle of it, I look up. I'm like, what? You're not supposed to pray like that. You're not that. supposed to pray. It's God bless me. God help me. Not wreck me. And he's like, I pray that God would wreck your life. I pray that you lose your job. I pray that you lose this house. I pray that you lose everything until you're completely broken with nothing left but only to cling on to Jesus. And in the middle of his prayer comes a knock at the door. It's the hotel manager and says, you guys got to leave. The cops came by and said, they're not going to stop raiding this place until you guys leave. Wow. And so I, I now take, in, the, in the middle of this prayer. In the middle of him praying, God wreck his life. I pray that he would not lose everything. I lost where I was living. So we stopped praying. Now I'm all upset. I'm mad at him for praying the prayer. God's instituting the prayer right away. Felt a little fast. And so, so now I got to pack up. My brother's like, don't you see? Like, this, this is God. He's like, this is God. Don't you see? Like, and I'm packing my bags. I don't want to hear it. He's like, this is God. Please. Like, this is, he just knocked at the door and gave you a way out. Come join this men's house. No, I didn't do it. No, I tried it on my own. Still. Still. I continued to try it on my own. But then? Oh. <laughs> Thanks, but then Ken. he did. Then, then, then he did join. But then, but then with what followed in the next 30, 30 days, I lost my car. And because I lost my car, within two weeks I lost my car, I lost my job. I had nowhere to get to work. I was working in the Lakewood Industrial Park. I couldn't get to work. And so now I'm walking around with a trash bag of clothes, jumping for whoever would let me stay for a night, house to house to house to house. And then finally, out of nowhere, we, we go out, we're drinking, we're, we're using, and I, I feel like God gave me a vision that if I didn't stop what I was doing, that this was going to be me for the rest of my life. And I looked in my hands, and we were all old, and everybody who I was hanging out with, we were like old and, and still, but acting like these kids that are, you know, partying. So I call my brother Kenny. I'm like, I thought I was going to die. I'm like, I think I'm dying. I don't, I don't know, man. I can't live like this. I don't know what to do. He's like, you know what? Get some rest. I'm coming to get you first thing in the morning where I'm going to bring you to Pastor Bob. So he comes Wednesday morning. He brings me to Pastor Bob. Um, they sit with me. They're like, hey, what's going on? I was like, you know, Pastor Bob asked me a question. He's like, oh, like, if you died, you know, are you going to go to heaven? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, we all go to heaven. We're all God's children. And he's like, seriously, like, why? Why? And, you know, he's hitting me with this question. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm trying to brush it off. 
Um, and then finally, I just break down and cry. And I was like, I don't know why. I'm not going. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm going to make it. And honestly, if, we, if I don't do something now, I might not make it to Thursday if I don't change what I'm doing. I need help because I'm going to die or I'm going to go to jail for a very long time. There's no easy way out of this. Pastor Bob breaks down. He's like, hey, man, if you want to change your life, if you want Jesus, if you want to walk with Jesus, if you say yes to him, we'll say yes to you. But you got to come here Sunday morning with your bags packed, ready to change. And if you use anything or go out anywhere, then you're done. Don't even bother coming. I'm like, all right, I'm ready to change. I'm ready to change. I leave there. I go home. Wednesday night, we go to the bar. Thursday night, we're out in Seaside. Friday night, we're partying. Saturday, I didn't change. I didn't know how to. And so Sunday rolls along. My brother Kenny's outside honking the horn, begging, come down. I'm upstairs paranoid. You know, we, I'm in this house with a trash bag of clothes. I'm rocking back and forth, sweating, not knowing what to do. And then finally, I'm like, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? You know, let's see. So I grab my bag of clothes. I go downstairs. I hop in the car with Kenny. We go to church. All the men from the men's house afterwards, they meet with me. Um, I hear stories from other men who have been struggling with addiction. And one of the questions they asked, they were like, all right, hey, before we go anywhere, did you use, did you do any drugs? Did you drink? I was like, of course I did. What do you expect? If I could do this on my own, then I would do it. I'm stuck. I don't know how to change. I don't know how to live this life that you guys are talking about. What am I going to do? And in that moment, all the men started crying. And, and, and they broke down, and they were like, all right, hey, if you want to change your life, if you say yes to Jesus, we'll say yes with you. Do you want to say yes? And I said yes. And I joined the house that day, assuming that I was just going to be there. Ah, you know what? Let me just stay here for a while, get clean, get a job, get a car, and I'll figure it out. And that was 12 years ago, and I never left. Wow. Wow. See, thank you, Kenny. <laughs> Pray for Kenny. Pray uh, for Kenny. <laughs> th that, th indeed, yeah, the, the role that one person can play in a life, right? Yeah. Representing the God who doesn't give up. God with flesh on, right? Our, he's, he's in us. His spirit's in us, and he sometimes sends us to keep banging on doors, when, even when we keep getting rejected. So just to clarify, you, something happened in that moment, that year prior. You gave your life to Jesus, but, look, but at the time, you didn't fully understand what the heck that meant. Yeah. Until a year later when they started to disciple you in this house. And yeah, you really understood yeah. the gospel and that Jesus, Jesus paid it all and he's the only way. And yeah. I had an idea. Like a seed was planted, but now that seed needs to get watered. Like what does that look like? How, does, how do I? So I went home with like a, a passion, but action was, I didn't know how to put it into action. I was passionate. I wanted to live for Jesus. I, I, I felt like God wanted to do something in my life, and I had a vision, but now how do I walk this out? How do I implement it? A, you know, a part of me was like, oh, I'll figure it out as I go, you know? Yeah. But no, it took, you know what? It took 12 men living in a house together, rallying around me, walking beside me, challenging me, pushing me, questioning me, 
encouraging me, strengthening me every day. Tell him, read your Bible, pray, pray, read your Bible, pray, read your Bible, pray, like, you know, and, 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 and I think, and not to interrupt you, but I think that idea too of like, you had Jesus, but Jesus didn't have you. You know what I mean? Like you were like, oh, I want Jesus and this. I want Jesus and my lifestyle. I want Jesus and whatever. Mm. So it wasn't until you were able to say like, it's Jesus only. Yeah. That like change happens. Yeah. When those men, you know, when Jesus, when, you know, I winded up joining that house, I detoxed on a five mile run every day for a week and a half with men like Steve Doughty, Pat Nix and Joe Saratelli pushing me running every day. You can do it. Nick Peterson. <laughs> uh, before you out all these people, like I don't know if they wanted to be. <laughs> no, sorry, sorry. Oh, he wasn't there for that. <laughs> he wasn't there for that. Um, he just ran with us. <laughs> <laughs> Let's cut over to Jen's story. Let's yeah. cut over to Jen's story. So something happened to you in 2011. Yeah. So, um, so like I said, I was. So I had joined this. We had a women's house. I had joined the women's house, which is a great place for like to dos, and it was like all the rules. I was going to be the best at the Christian life and I was going to make all these other girls look like trash because I was going to do them. I was going to be the most holy. Like I just, I was such a mess. And in 2011, I got engaged to his roommate actually. And, um, and I was super in love and we were planning this wedding and it was my first relationship too. And so that brought its own baggage. Um, so we broke up and I was devastated and I just, I didn't know what to do. And my world got rocked for the first time, like hard. And I was like, man, this isn't, this isn't cool. (laughs) Like this isn't how it's supposed to be. So I started making these deals with God. And I was like, listen, like I went on this fast. I was like, all right, God, like I'm going to do this fast for you because like, that's what holy people do. And like, I'm going to do this and you're going to change him. And then it was like a 40 day fast. I was like on day 41, I want my ring back. We can get married on day 42, like, and everything goes on. Just give me what I want, Jeannie. Right. And because I didn't really know, like I, I had never really experienced the goodness of God, you know? And so I was like, just thought like, if I do all the right things, like he's going to do all the right things for me. And, and it was very transactional. And, um, so during that time, a couple of days in, I got word that like, he wasn't going to change and he wasn't going to wait 40 days and he was done. And I was like, (gasps) and then that's when things really hit the fan. And, and my pastor at the time was like, you know, why don't you really press into God? Why don't you study God's word and see what he has to say about this and see if like God doesn't want to move. And I was like, all right. And so, so I started, he was like, you got to get up early. You got to get up at 5 a.m. and and really press in and whatever. And, And so I was like, all right, I'll try. And I started opening my Bible and I didn't know what I was doing still. I was like, all right, like I know how to do the reading plan. I know how to check the boxes, but like, how do I like really study God's word? How do I really read this? Like in a way that's going to be transforming. And I can't really explain all of what happened over the next few days, but, um, but I was running one day and I was coming down this hill and I was listening to this song and, and it talks about, um, kind of like mice and men being led away to their fate, you know, and, and just listening to this Pied Piper song. And, and we find ourselves in this place that like you never expected. You didn't want to be. And I was like, Oh my God, like what happened to me? Like I've been listening to this song for 
20 years, like thinking I'm doing the right thing. And I don't know Jesus. And I don't know what it means to like be in love with him. And I don't, and I'm in Bible school and I'm going to be a minister. And like, what am I leading people to? I'm part of the problem. And I start crying, running down this hill. I'm about to cry now. I start crying, running down this hill. And I'm like, I need Jesus. Like, for this minute. And I need Jesus for this step. And I need Jesus for this breath. And I had never experienced him like that. And I was like, man, how do you live your life in a church for 30 years and not experience Jesus on a, on a breath level? And it was that day, December 7th, 2011, I fell in love with Jesus and I fell in love with his word and my life was never the same. And I, I had ups and downs. Like Pastor Chris said, you should hear our marriage story. A lot happened in the next following years, but I will, I can always look back to that day and say, man, Jesus got a hold of my heart. Like I said about you, like that's the day that Jesus got me, you know, and, and to know like I, I could never go back. I could never like, I had nowhere else to go. So. Wow. Yeah. So, um. Gosh, there's so much. There's so much I can try to point out from both their stories and highlight and put a quote up, like it was, you know, Twitter or something. And hopefully, you guys, things will just stick with you. You can rewatch. Hopefully, parents are inspired. Keep hoping and praying. And um, and we're gonna we're gonna end. These guys are gonna read a scripture. Oh, each of them are gonna read a scripture over us in, in just a moment. But um, briefly, you guys, we're gonna skip the marriage part. That'll be another day. Um, but briefly, why do you want to, you came together, you got married, that was a mess in itself, and then you, things are good, but you want to plant a church. Why do you want to plant a church in Long Beach Island? What's that going to look like over the next year? And what can people do to kind of jump, jump on board or explore jumping on board with you? Go ahead, Jen. Uh, yeah, so, so we believe that God wants to do something on Long Beach Island, and um, it's so funny. Last year, uh, before we even really, when we were just in like praying phase, um, we were doing house churches, like probably many of you guys are online church. And I was talking to a, uh, a pastor at, um, uh, main street, who's also planting a, a church in Atlantic city. And he was talking about the Island and he was talking about, man, you have all this water around, right? But like, it's all salt water. And so on one hand, it looks like, oh, this is so life-giving. This is so beautiful. This is so whatever. But if you, if that's the only water you had, you'd die, right? And, and as he talked about it, he's like, you need living water. You need clean water. You need fresh water, right? And looking at the island in, in this, like, vision of, man, these people are surrounded by, like, all of the things that you think you want, right? Like, most of the people on the island have... It's their second home or their third home. They have multiple cars. They have all of the money in the bank account. They have all of these things. But they are spiritually dying because they don't have living water. They are surrounded by all of the things that the world says is going to give them life, and they're dying. And God wants to do something on that island, and we believe that, that we are going to be a part of it and that we are going to kick off um, what, what we hope is generations to come of revival 
Um, and so we have been praying specifically. Um, if you've ever been to the island, there's a lighthouse on the north end. And we are praying for lighthouses. We are praying that um, God would start, just like you guys are saying, you know, your missional outposts. Like we are praying for lighthouses that God is going to um, set up people that, that have living water, that have the light of the, the world, and that people would run in and be saved. And so we want to be a part of that. We want you guys to be a part of that. Whether that means you're going to just pray with us, whether you're going to give, whether you're going to go, we want to talk to you. We would love to, to connect and see what that looks like. Like Pastor Chris said, we do have this barbecue coming up um, on Memorial Day um, down in Beach Haven West. We would love to connect with you for that. And then we are going to be, um, we're going to be meeting all summer. We're going to have weekly meetups. Um, we're going to do some surf camps. We're going to do some team building. We're going to do a lot of prayer. Uh, and so we would love you to be part of that. And so afterwards, if you are interested, we would love to connect with you. We'd love to get your email. Um, and you can give us your email without feeling pressured to go. Um, we would love, even if you're someone that says, even if you're Pastor Chris, that's like, no, I'm not going, but you want to come down and, and visit us one week this summer, we would love to have you just come and check out what is going on. Um, because we are doing this together. We're not going alone. Um, you guys have so faithfully given and supported what's happening at Main Street. And, and we want to partner with you guys in this. And so we would love to connect um, after service or, or throughout the week. Cool. So, Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jen. Um, yeah, so the barbecue information is on the slide. You can sign up with a connect card. You can talk to these guys. Um, and, and again, you're going to be hearing more and more from them but um, over the next few months. But let's, let, let's do this. Can we, can we stand and can I have the band come, come on up here um, as we prepare to respond to what my, God might be doing? So come on up here, band. That screen says three. It should be five. None of us caught that. Thanks, Nick. It's, it's May 31st. It's next Monday, to be clear. <laughs> so these guys are going to be down here available for prayer. prayer. Uh, so will Pastor Rigo. Um, got anybody else? Okay. Anybody else who's on the team who's available today can be available. Just a reminder for the prayer team to have a mask so folks can feel comfortable coming close to you. Um, and if you need one, I believe we have them. Jess, we got some disposables? Maybe. <laughs> um, but here, here's what we're going to do. Here's, here's, here's where I just want to end. I, I asked Dave and Jen, what's a scripture that they can pray over us as we close, as we prepare to just go into a time of worship, as we go into a time of praying for individuals? And they each picked one. And I asked them specifically, Dave, what's a scripture... That you can pray over those who might be where you were at 15 years ago. I need something. I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe I need Jesus, but I don't know how. I don't know what that looks like. And then Jen, what's a scripture you can pray over our church specifically for those who are in the shoes that you are in? 10, 15 years ago where I'm going to church. My parents are taking me to church. I'm serving at church. But I don't have a real relationship with Jesus. I don't know him. I know about him. I know the Sunday school answers. But I don't know him. I'm not in love with him. And as they read these scriptures, if you feel like God's 
piercing your heart and you're like, oh, that's me. I want to encourage you to come pray with these guys. They'll be available down here. You can pray with anybody on the prayer team. Jess and Joni and Pastor Rigo will be available. But if you could just bow your heads and close your eyes as these guys read these, these scriptures. Go ahead, Dave. Galatians. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, let that sink in for a moment. Just, just give the Holy Spirit a moment here. We're not teaching and expounding on these scriptures, but we do want to give the Holy Spirit a chance to take them and pierce hearts. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Mm. Who wants that? Who needs that? Who wants that? Who needs that? And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Jen, could you close us in prayer? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, I thank you for your bride. I thank you for the way that you are living out your life through the people here at True Life. And like Pastor Chris has said, there's people that are listening that resonate with Dave. There's people that might resonate with me. There's people that have spouses or children or friends or family or loved ones that have similar stories. And the reality is, Jesus, that your story is my story and my story is his story and his story is their story and our story is your story and you're the hero of it all so I pray that you would be the hero here today, God, that if there's people that are struggling in addiction or brokenness or being stuck or in religion or in tradition or whatever is standing between them and you, I pray that you would break it. I pray that they would 
not leave here the same, God, that this is a moment that the God of heaven wants to speak into our lives. I pray that we wouldn't walk to our cars the same way that we walked in here. God, that we would, that you would break down whatever it is that we are holding on to, whatever it is that we think is going to get us through to tomorrow. I pray that you would wreck lives here today, Jesus. And I pray that we would experience you, that we would experience your love, that we would experience your goodness in a way that we never have before. In Jesus' name. Amen. So these guys will be available down here. Justin, Joni, Jess, Rigo. Come down if you need prayer. And everybody, let's, let's worship the God who invades our stories.